Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Sensational Sunday to one and all. Welcome into these Indian Kill Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you with what should be another terrific podcast and making it all the more terrific. Handicapper Sean Harnish is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be taking a look at the slate for Sunday and how he handicaps Sunday baseball as well. Some of the angles that he looks at, that's going to be interesting because with Sunday you've got all the day games and it's getaway day for many of these teams. So going to pick his brain on that. In the final segment, I give you a side in total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. This is typically the part of the podcast where I answer Twitter questions as well. If you ever have one, feel free to tweet it in at GinaDarnesquarty1. Please do send it into the timeline. I am not one for answering DMs because I get so many of them that, well, it has essentially become an overloaded mailbox. Nothing else will fit in there. But everything fits into the timeline. It's a cloud, if you will. So let's take a look back at yesterday's results. Let's try to find some trends. And let's try to become better handicappers from it as a result. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The day started out with the New York Yankees taking down the Cleveland Indians by a count of 6-5. to The Indians were done in by a pair of errors by Oscar Mercado that let... Two Yankees run score early for Zach Lisak. Not necessarily a sharpest start in this one. Four and two-thirds innings. Gives up five runs, four of which were earned, and he gave up three home runs. For the Yankees, they were able to get the power going as DJ LeMayu goes yard off of him. His 20th home run of the year. Didi Gregorius had his euphorious 11th home run of the year. And then Gleyber Torres went deep off of him. And also Nick Wickren for his 28th and 29th dingers of the year from there. The Cleveland Indians wound up being able to get three and a 
third innings and gave up one run in the process. So the bullpen of the Indians, which is number one with regards to ERA, continues to be good. And for the Cleveland Indians, they didn't have a lot of power themselves, but they were able to bust out five runs in this one for the Yankees. James Paxson once again got shelled in the first inning. He wound up giving up a two-spot there, but he settled down. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs off, which were earned. And then the bullpen of Adam Adovino, Tommy Camely, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman, all a inning apiece. They give up a combined one run, and the Yankees have now played nine out of their last 11 games at Yankee Stadium to the over. The Chicago Cubs snap a four-game losing streak as they take down the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of two to zero. If you were on the Pittsburgh Pirates in this game, this is just a disaster as the Cubs are now, by the way, 24 and 39 on the road. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Pirates, ever since the All-Star break, now seven and 26. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they had the bases loaded in three different innings in this game. They go over 12 with men in scoring position and leave 11 men on base. This squanders a very good start from Stephen Brault. Seven innings pitch, he gives up one run. In his last 11 starts, he's given up more than three earned runs in just one of them. He had Michael Felice give up a run out of the bullpen and for the Cubs, their big hit in this game was a solo home run by Chris Bryant in the seventh inning. His 25th of the year is John Lester. A man that, as we all know, very up and down. He winds up going six innings. He evaded a whole lot of danger despite giving up five walks. And then from there, Tyler Chatwood and Ryan Wick were able to get the save. So good on the Chicago Cubs there and the Pittsburgh Pirates. The top over team with regards to home games in the big leagues. They were unable to get a single run in this one. The Toronto Blue Jays entered into their game against the Seattle Mariners. Winners of 12 out of their last 16. But the Seattle Mariners were able to get them on Saturday by a count of 4-3. to three. For the Mariners, they got a pair of home runs. Austin Nola is fifth of the year, and Kyle Seager is 15th, as they were able to take the wholesale approach in this one, as you had just a v- variety of different guys go in this one, the longest of which was Reggie McLean. He goes two innings, he gives up one run, and then from there, you had a bevy of six different guys give between an inning and five outs apiece for the Toronto Blue Jays. They wound up having Trent Thornton on the mound, and this is a guy that's been hot and cold. This one was, I guess, medium. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, including one of those home runs, and then from there, the Toronto Blue Jays, who have a top-five bullpen in regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break, one earned run in three innings, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, the big concern here is the fact that Flagger or Jr. had to leave the game with an injury, probably not going to be in the lineup for Sunday, but you did get a pair of home runs as Bo Bichette wound up getting his fifth home run of the year, and then catcher Reese McGuire went deep for his third dinger of the campaign. The Oakland A's continue to own the Houston Astros as it was an 8-4 to Oakland A's win as the Houston Astros have now lost four times essentially over their last seven days. Things are not necessarily going well for this bunch as Rogelio Amenteros wound up getting the start in this one for the Astros. He gives up five runs of four innings. Entered into this game with a 1-9-3 ERA, but had an ERA north of five in the minors, and it caught up to him. Chris Savinsky has been unreliable out there in the bullpen. He gave up three runs himself. As for the Astros, they're continuing to get some great production out of Jordan Alvarez. His 18th and 19th home runs of the year. Chris Bassett wound up giving up one of those. He was a starter for the Oakland A's. Six innings pitch, he gave up three runs, all of which were earned. Seemed like it was the norm for him in June. He has been a little bit better recently, but all in all, not a bad start. And then from there, the A's bullpen winds up giving up one run in three innings for the A's. They didn't even need any home runs in this one. They just went 6 of 13 with men in scoring position. They got 16 total hits. They did a great job of being able to go station to station. Speaking of teams that had to go station to station to win their game, the Tampa Bay Rays get a 1-0 win over the Detroit Tigers. In this one for the Rays, Ryan Yarbrough with another spectacular start. Six out of third innings. He winds up getting 10 strikeouts, no earned runs, 
over his last two starts, he has won a combined 15 innings, and I believe he's given up six hits and no earned runs. And then from there, the Rays bullpen winds up going a combined six and two-thirds innings. They don't even allow as much as a hit for the Detroit Tigers. They get three total hits in this one in a 13-inning game. This is a team that they have scored four runs or fewer in 24 out of their last 31 games. But if you're looking for a bright spot, Jordan Zimmerman, who entered into this game with a ERA north of seven, just one win on the year. Five innings pitch, gives up just one hit. And then the bullpen from there, they go seven and two-thirds innings. They give up one run. They certainly did their job. Just absolutely no offensive support whatsoever for this team. The St. Louis Cardinals not had a lot of offensive support either as 12 out of their last 15 games have went under as the Reds take them down by kind of 6-1. For the Cincinnati Reds, the Young Guns were able to get it done. Nick Senzel, his 10th home run of the year, and Aristides Aquino is 11th of the campaign. Those both came off of one Miles Mikolas, who goes five innings, gives up five runs, all of which were earned. He's had a little bit of an issue with the long ball this year, and it peered its ugly head here. And the St. Louis Cardinals, a team with a top five bullpen in the big leagues, goes three innings, gives up just one run. They did their job. The only man on offense that did his job for the St. Louis Cardinals. Matt Carpenter, his 11th home run of the year. That's not very common as he's been having a very bad year. But for the St. Louis Cardinals, they leave 10 men on base as Anthony DiScalfani was able to do a little bit of Houdini work. He gave up just that solo home run in five innings. And then the Cincinnati Reds, who have had a bottom five bullpen in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of June. Four innings of scoreless baseball. So a very good sign there for a Cincinnati Reds team that is playing right around 60% of its games to the under, maybe more around 59, but they're still the top under team out there in baseball. The Nationals certainly aren't the top under team out there in baseball, but they are in the top three with regards to worst bullpen ERAs, and it costs them in this one as the Brewers hang 15 runs on the board as their two-point conversion was just enough to get past the Washington Nationals by a count of 15 to 14. For the Green Bay Packers, I mean the Milwaukee Brewers, whole lot of home runs in this one, including three in the ninth inning in order to extend the game. Ryan Braun, his 17th and 18th of the year. Mike Moustakis is 18th. Eric Thames is 17th. Christian Yelich, two home runs from the ninth inning on. His 40th and 41st of the year. Trent Grisham is third. For the Milwaukee Brewers, Jordan Lyles did not have it on this day. Four innings pitch. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. And then you had a bevy of bullpen arms for the Milwaukee Brewers. Give up a grand total of nine runs over the course of 10 innings, eight of which were earned. Everyone got used out of the pen for the Milwaukee Brewers. And Josh Hader tried to close the game in the ninth that he couldn't. Meanwhile, for the Washington Nationals, Anibal Sanchez. Four innings pitch. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. Then it was Sean Doolittle that really did very little for betters. He gave up those three home runs in the ninth inning. The bullpen as a whole for the Washington Nationals gives up 10 runs in 10 innings, all of which were earned. This was a bad display of bullpen pitching, but hey, for the Washington Nationals, Ellie Kendrick, his 13th home run of the year, Adam Eaton, his 9th, Trey Turner down for what? His 12th, and Juan Soto's 26th. This was a game that, oh, man, we're not going to see that again. There's no trends to be taken away from that one other than these two bullpens stink. Another bullpen that has not been very good, that of the Philadelphia Phillies, and it wound up being okay on this day, but they wind up losing to the San Diego Padres by kind of 5-3. to three. For Zach Eflin, he wound up getting the start in this one, and... All you could say is Eflin U if you bet on the Philadelphia Phillies as he doesn't make it out of the fourth inning. Three and two-thirds innings, gives up three runs, all of which were earned. His ERA in his most recent couple starts ever since the beginning of the month of June, I believe is north of seven. And then from there, he had Nick Bavetta give up two runs out of the bullpen, but all in all, bullpen was decent. Five and a third innings, they give up two runs. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were able to get a home run off of starter Denelson Lamette. 
it was JT Riamuto supplying his 19th as Lamet gave up that solo home run. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. He actually seemed to do a little bit of a better job with his command in this one. And then the San Diego Padres bullpen, which has been very rough this year, aside from Kirby Yates, goes three innings, not giving up a single hit, and Yates continues to lead the league in regards to saves with 34. Probably the most trustworthy closer out there in the big leagues. As for the Padres, they go 4 of 12 with men in scoring position, didn't get a home run, but they were just able to play some solid baseball. Speaking of teams playing some solid baseball, Boston Red Sox take down the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 4-0. to zero. Eduardo Rodriguez had seen the over go 17-6 and six to begin the year, but three out of his last four starts have went under, and he was very good in this one. Seven and a third innings. He doesn't give up a single run, and then the bullpen provides the final five outs for the Boston Red Sox, a pair of home runs in this one. Brock Holt is second of the year, and Rafael Devers is 26th. As Asher Wojciechowski seems to be a little bit of an undervalued guy. Not a great start in this one, four and a third innings, but only gives up two runs. From there, the bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles, which obviously has its issues, they give up two runs in three and two-thirds innings, so not really too bad there. It was just the fact that the Baltimore Orioles were unable to get some hits themselves as the Boston Red Sox have now played back-to-back unders at home for the first time in a while. The New York Mets were able to get another under with Jacob deGrom on the mound, and they take down the Kansas City Royals by a count of 4-1. to For Jacob deGrom, just another great start. This man has given up more than two earned runs in one start since, like, the middle of May. Seven innings pitch, he gives up one run. From there, you had the bullpen being able to close out the last two innings for the Mets. And the Mets weren't able to get a home run in this one. They were just 2 of 10 with men in scoring position, but they were able to be the beneficiaries of just being able to get 11 hits in general. As for the Kansas City Royals, not a bad start here from Jacob Junis. Six and a third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Nothing great, nothing awful. Bullpen from there goes two and two-thirds innings, giving up one run in the process. But for the Kansas City Royals, just nothing doing against Jacob DeGrom, who has actually been one of the bottom 10 least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. Certainly not his fault, though. Hunjin Ryu entered into Saturday with one of the greatest seasons that you'll ever see. He got a little bit hit around, though, as it was the Atlanta Braves being able to take down the Dodgers by a count of 4-3. to three. This was just the second time all year that Hunjin Ryu gave up more than two earned runs in a start. He goes five and two-thirds, gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. Josh Donaldson provides his 29th of the year, and Adam Duvall is sixth. Very uncharacteristic of him and uncharacteristic of the Dodgers to provide a grand total of 10 outs without giving up a single run, so tip of that to them. And for the Dodgers, they were able to get a pair of home runs themselves. Matt Beattie, his seventh of the year, and Max Muncy, his 31st, as Michael Fultonavich, ever since coming back from AAA, has looked decent, not giving the, a great amount of length in this one, four and two-thirds innings, but only gave up two runs. And then the Atlanta Rays bullpen, which has been woeful, recently. Four and a third innings. They give up one run. Luke Jackson gave up a solo home run. That was it. So, big tip of the cap to the Atlanta Braves. They were able to get things figured out there, and the Atlanta Braves just continue to be one of the more profitable teams out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, the Dodgers have actually lost you money if you bet on them in every game that they've been on the road. The Minnesota Twins certainly have not lost you money if you've been betting on every game in which they've been on the road, as they're one of the two most profitable teams out there in the big leagues with regards to road money made, and they take down the Texas Rangers by a count of 12-7. to For the Minnesota Twins, they just continue to pump out the power. Miguel Sano is 23rd home of the year, and CJ Crone his 20th as Jose Barrios did not give the start that the Twins had in mind. He winds up going far into third innings, giving up seven runs, but only three of which were earned. There was a Miguel Sano ground ball that should have gotten him out of the inning, and it did not. And a Twins bullpen, which has really had its issues recently. They go four and two-thirds innings. They don't give up a single run, so that was a good sign there. But Ariel Gerardo just continues to have his issues. He goes two innings. Now, only two of the runs that he gave up were earned, but he gives up a grand total of eight runs, and one of the errors was on him. I just still don't don't understand why an error 
error on the pitcher leads to unearned runs for that pitcher that makes the errors, but that's a story for another day. And then you had the bullpen having to go a grand total of seven innings. In the process, they give up four runs, considering the situation's not necessarily the worst thing, but how about what Danny Santana's doing for the Texas Rangers? This is a guy hitting above... 300, and he gets his 20th and 21st home runs of the year, both off of Mr. Barrios, so he certainly did his job, but nobody else really did. The San Francisco Giants continue to be the most profitable team on the road in the National League with regards to money made, and they take down the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of 11-6, to and the Giants, by the way, have a record above 500 as an underdog, as it was the first career start of Logan Webb. He winds up giving up two runs, but only one of which was earned in the first inning, and then from there, he settled down, going a grand total of five innings, so dip of the cap there. The San Francisco Giants bullpen over the past few days has been a little bit shaky though. They wind up giving up four runs in four innings in this one including two home runs. They still have the second best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues though. It's going deep for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Christian Walker is 22nd of the year. Nick Amad is 16th but Taylor Clark Whew, this was not good for him. He entered with an ERA north of 5, and he left with a 574. He gets 5 outs, gives up 5 runs, not only 3 of which were earned, but then that led to the bullpen of the Arizona Diamondbacks getting called into action. In 7 and 3rd innings, they give up 6 runs, all of which were earned. This is a Diamondbacks bullpen that's in the bottom half of the league with regards to ERA. And now the San Francisco Giants, a team that was playing a whole bunch of unders recently, have now played 2 straight overs, and for the San Francisco Giants, gotta note their splits. They've scored right around 3 runs per game at home, on the road more like 5.3 runs per game the Colorado Rockies had seen their last 10 home games either go under the total or push, but in this one it wound up finally going over as the Colorado Rockies get an 11-4 win over the Miami Marlins, and they had a good recipe to do so as Hector Doacy goes 4 and a third innings giving up 6 runs, all of which were earned including 2 home runs, the bullpen comes in and they provide 3 and 2 thirds innings, and they give up in the process 5 runs, all of which were earned for the Miami Marlins. They got a pair of home runs themselves. Garrett Cooper is 12th of the year and John Birdie his third, but for the Colorado Rockies they did get a good start of Herman Marquez. Not necessarily a lot of distance. Five innings pitch, but he only gave up two runs. From there the Colorado Rockies have the worst bullpen ERA in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. They go four innings, giving up two runs, so nothing bad there, but for the Colorado Rockies the power was on display in this one. Trevor Story was able to write another chapter with his 28th home run of the year. Ryan McMahon, two dingers. His 16th and 17th of the campaign. Ian Desmond is 14th, and Charlie Blackman, his 25th as the Colorado Rockies finally get an over at home, and the LA Angels play another home game over as they take down the Chicago White Sox by kind of 6-5, but you do want to note this. For the Chicago White Sox, going into their most recent stretch, in 31 games coming out of the All-Star break, they had played at four runs or fewer in 23 of them. In their last four games, they have scored at least five runs in every one of them. So the White Sox offense does seem to be turning the corner, but the problem was they got all their offense early and they didn't have anything late. They got all their runs in the first three innings as a big reason why was because they got Eloy Jimenez to go deep for his 21st home run of the year. And Hector Santiago, actually a decent start for the Chicago White Sox. Four and two thirds innings, he gives up two runs. And then a White Sox bullpen, which has been highly reliable all year long. They go a combined three and a third innings. They give up four runs, but only two of which were earned. The White Sox, as we know, have some of the worst fielding out there in the big leagues. Ryan Goins wound up misplaying a ground ball in the seventh inning and cost him dearly as the Angels were able to plate four runs in that inning. And then for the LA Angels, they wound up using the opener strategy for one Jose Suarez as Noah Ramirez gave up one run while recording four outs and then Suarez from there. Doesn't matter what you do for this guy. He just stinks. Four innings pitch. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. 675 is the ZRA, but the bullpen from there, 
Three and two-thirds innings. They don't give up a single run, and the LA Angels got a pair of home runs themselves. Justin Upton went up down for his ninth home run of the year, and Brandon Goodwin, his 11th, as the Angels have now played each of their last six games over the total and 10 out of their last 12 games over. So they are certainly playing some high-scoring affairs. So what did we all learn from Major League Baseball on Saturday? The Cleveland Indians continue to have a good bullpen, but it appears as though the New York Yankees have a very good one as well, and overs at Yankee Stadium are really starting to cash. The Chicago Cubs are continuing to struggle on the road, but the Pittsburgh Pirates, well, they can't put up runs in general, and they've been awful ever since the All-Star break. The Toronto Blue Jays are getting some good pitching, but no Vlad Guerrero Jr. could be an issue for this team. The Oakland A's are continuing to beat up on a Houston Astros team that is giving up a whole lot of runs. The Tampa Bay Rays are not scoring a whole lot of runs, but you know what? Ryan Yarbrough, he's doing a terrific job of pitching, and the Detroit Tigers actually getting some good bullpen pitching themselves. The St. Louis Cardinals just continue to play unders, and the Cincinnati Reds, the bullpen continues to be inconsistent, but Anthony Scalfani has been delivering some good starts recently. I guess there is always a chance that two touchdowns will be scored whenever the Milwaukee Brewers and the Washington Nationals play because both these bullpens are just completely awful. If you can rely on one closer, though, it is Kirby Yates of the San Diego Padres. The Boston Red Sox are getting some good starts out of Eduardo Rodriguez, and his starts are starting to go under. Jacob deGrom just continues to be dominant for the New York Mets. Perhaps Hunjin Ryu is seeing a little bit of regression right now, and the Atlanta Braves continue to do a great job with their offense. Minnesota Twins are on absolute fire with their offense. Meanwhile, Ariel Gerardo, certainly a guy that you want to fade for the Texas Rangers. The Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen looking very shaky right now, and the Giants as well, but the Giants on the road certainly pumping out the runs. The Colorado Rockies are doing a great job of being able to score runs whenever they are at home. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins, whenever you see Hector Nacy take the mound, you probably want to be taking the other side, and the Chicago White Sox appear to be scoring a couple more runs, and the Angels are playing a whole bunch of overs right now. So that is what we all noticed from baseball on Saturday. Now let's preview Sunday's card, and let's take a look at how Shauna Harnish handicaps Sunday games as compared to other games during the week. That is coming up next, a chat with our man Guppy Money right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Kilo Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Always great to have on our next guest. He does terrific work, one of the best handicappers I know out there on the East Coast. You can follow him on Twitter at Guppy Money. This is a guy that covers a little bit of everything. The football season is ramping up, so he's all aboard that, but he's still doing a tremendous job with baseball. Very helpful, posting a lot of nuggets out there on Twitter, just in regards to umpire trends, to stats that are backing up all of his plays and everything like that. And it is Sean Harness joining me. And Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. That was a great intro. Thank you. Good to have you lobby oh, for I appreciate me. it. <laughs> Only the best for the best guests. And I know you do a great job of covering baseball and everything like that. And I know you've been tweeting a lot about the Cubs. The Cubs are a team that have not won a road series ever since, I believe, the month of May. They're going to have a chance to be able to win one on Sunday as it is Jose Quitana going up against Mitch Keller. Right now we're seeing the Cubs as about a minus 150 or so favorite. What do you make out of this contest? Because the Cubs had lost four straight games going into Saturday. They win by kind of two to nothing, but let's face it, if you watch that game, you know that the Pirates outplayed them, and the Cubs, quite honestly, got lucky to win that game. 
Oh, my God. I would like to go look at the numbers as far as runners on base and how many times they've had chances with runners in scoring position. They stranded 11 on base, went 0 for 12 with men in scoring position. Wow. I I wonder if that's the first time someone's went at least 0 for 12 in a game. I can't remember it, but that was brutal to watch. And if you were backing Pittsburgh in that game, my condolences, because they deserved to win that one. They didn't deserve to win the night before. We know that. But at the same time, the Cubs bullpen is horrendous. And you mentioned about their troubles on the road. And I think a little bit of an untapped market, which not many people talk about, is series bets, right? Series prices on games. I don't feel like enough people really look at that because you can find a lot of value in those, especially if you're looking to take underdogs. And if you're not loving the first matchup, perhaps rather than taking that straight up, you take them for the series. You mentioned they haven't won a bet on the road for a series price, and they were favored in 10 of those 12 series, too. I can't put my finger on it. They went through a long stretch at the end of July there where I think for three or four straight games, only runs they scored came by home run. And when they get on the road, I just don't think they're comfortable. I never thought they were that great of a hitting team, despite what the numbers say. They just seem to not come up in big spots. They'll beat you 15 to 1 to pad their stats, but there's a lot of close games in there, especially within the division. I'm not very high on the Cubs this year. For that reason, I think Madden being a lame duck coach never works out where, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. And that never works out. The front office is going to start catching some heat for some of the moves. I'll be looking to fade this team on the road throughout and be taking juicy prices at home. I just don't think they're all that good. Absolutely. This is a team in the Cubs that I'm actually looking to back a little bit at home. They've won over two-thirds of their games at Wrigley Field, but Mm -hmm. when they're on the road, they are being faded so heavily by me right now as we have Sean Harness joining me right here on the podcast. A man that I am not fading right now, though, Jack Flaherty. In four out of his last five starts, he's given up zero earned runs, and he's given up more than one earned run in one out of his last seven starts. And that's when he gave up two runs in six innings against the Houston Astros. This man, ever since July 2nd, has been the best pitcher in baseball, aside from maybe Hunjin Ryu. He's going to be going up against the Cincinnati Reds. It is going to be the Cincinnati Reds as an underdog in this spot. Right now, you're laying about... Minus 155 or so with Jack Flaherty, but I think there's great value here with him going up against Alex Wood, and I think the Cardinals might actually be the team that wins this NL Central with the way they're playing at this point. Yeah, it's it's funny. I was going to lead with that, saying, you know, here it is. Maybe this is the run. I think I've said that about six or seven times this year, and then I gave up on him going into the trade deadline, and I was ready to trade off Ozuna and anybody else that had expiring contracts. Because, I mean, they just couldn't put a solid week together, let alone a month, for a long time here. Now, you know, maybe this is it. You mentioned probably one of the best under-the-radar pitches in Flaherty going right now. It'll be interesting to see. It's In Cincinnati, they've been a pesky team. They got pretty hot after the trade deadline. The offense started kicking around, which we knew it had to because the numbers just weren't there for the ballpark that they play in. But the unders, the unders keep cashing. I know I've heard you talk about it. They're the best under team in the league and best first five under. I know you know the exact percentage, right, for Cincinnati? Right around 59%, yeah. Right, Yeah, right, almost 60%, which is just ridiculously historic. But I am going to agree with you. As far as backing St. Louis in this one, I think this could be the run that you go on. And this is a very streaky time, right, from here on out. You catch a team, get hot, they win 4-5 could get all the way up to 11. We've seen it with the Yankees, Houston, the Mets at the end of the month last month. Now maybe 
this time around, we see it with St. Louis, maybe Philadelphia, Washington. Ride those teams, just ride them. And with St. Louis, you should get decent prices half the time. I'll be looking to back them here as well. Maybe split my bet between the first five minus a half and first five money line. It is very interesting to see how Jack Flaherty has been able to develop over his last couple starts. And something else that I find fascinating, the splits of Glenn Sparkman, who's going to be going on Sunday for the Kansas City Royals against a Mets team that, let's face it, after they had that huge run in which they won, I believe, 14 out of 15 games, they've now been playing about 500-ish baseball. They lose the first game of the series against the Royals. Glenn Sparkman, when he's on the road, ERA is 9. At home, ERA is three, and he's going up against a guy in Zach Wheeler that, let's face it, he hasn't been very good this year. He's had a couple good starts, but he's got all in all an ERA hovering right around a 4-4, and you're getting the Kansas City Royals at a plus 160 price. What do you make out of this game? Because the Kansas City Royals have actually been playing some okay baseball ever since the All-Star break. It's not like they've been world beaters or anything like that, but they've been just below 500. They've gotten a little bit of better pitching out of the bullpen, and this might be a sneaky spot to take an underdog. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from with that. And with the Mets, you know, like you said, went on that crazy streak. They lost the game, and the worst thing that can happen when you're playing good is get a day off, and that's what happened. And then they had to go and play Atlanta. Sort of spinning their wheels there. Tough loss in that first game. couple close ones. They did squeak out that Stroman start where I'll say it, and I don't care what, but I'll back Stroman from here on out like I have since that move. He's brought energy to that team. He's been a conductor to Frazier, where Frazier, as we know, is a big clubhouse guy. Now he had a partner in crime to sort of get that motivation up, and we saw them ride that wave. Now, it's a different story when you go out on the road especially when you start and have a disappointing series against the team you're chasing down. You're playing well, you're you're on a high, you're winning 11 in a row, then you go lose to Atlanta, you win the last game, but now you got to go out to Kansas City. And it was sort of one of those spots where it looked like maybe not mentally there in that loss on Friday. We'll see if they can bounce back. Now, you mentioned Kansas City. Kansas City's a fun team. Kansas City's a team that's playing a different style of baseball than most. They see value in running, right? They have two of the best stolen base leaders in baseball. When healthy, they have three really good guys that potentially could steal 50 bags if they get on base, which makes things very interesting. And I'll tell you why. This is one of the reasons why I think pitching has become so dominant, minus the home run, obviously, but nobody runs anymore. Pitchers are on the mound and they don't even have to worry about looking over at first. No one's stealing. All they have to do is focus on pitching. You see when they play Kansas City, Kansas City's running all over the place. They get in pitchers' heads, and they're a pesky team that you don't want to play. They're an aggravating team that, you know, you go out there and you think you could take a breath from the stretch run, and they get you. They're usually a great price, and I definitely look to back them today, especially with the splits you're talking about. I like the Kansas City Royals. Glad to see we are on the same page as Sean Harnish is joining me right here on the podcast, and I find this fascinating as well. Got the Baltimore Orioles against Boston Red Sox. It's not necessarily that part that I find interesting, but right now the listed starter for the Boston Red Sox, Nathan Eovaldi, and at the shop that I'm looking at right now, the Boston Red Sox, a minus 310 favorite. Now, the Baltimore Orioles stink. They have Gabriel Yanoa going on the mound. You know what? He's been giving up a lot of runs, but I can't lay $3 with Nathan Eovaldi starting. He's been coming out of the bullpen. He hasn't won more than two innings. If the Boston Red Sox are going to take a wholesale approach, don't have a lot of faith in that bullpen either. Don't know what you make out of this matchup, but I just find it intriguing in general. Well, you know, 
what you're going to get with, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, oh, the, he's 0-6, team's 1-8. He is the second least profitable pitcher on this pitching staff at minus over minus seven units. That's saying a whole bunch. Only Hess is worse. And, yeah, oh, you know, Evaldi gets the start here. I guess better late than never. I don't know why they didn't stretch him out as, like, an opener type deal rather than putting him in the bullpen. He said back in spring training, back when the Red Sox thought that they were geniuses by not letting their starting pitchers pitch the first three weeks of spring. Brilliant. That really worked out well, and they never got going. They all of a sudden were playing meaningful baseball, but yet they were pitching in spring training type setting. That backfired. They never could get the wheels spinning. Avaldi never became a starter. He's He hasn't been happy about his position, and especially with this team losing. You're not going to turn him into Andrew Miller. That's not what he wants. You got lightning in a bottle last year in the playoffs. Just be thankful for that. Don't think that you, you're going to outsmart him. You can't, first of all, I, there's no, if you're not good enough, that's one thing. But when a pitcher openly says that he does not want to be in the bullpen, he's not going to pitch well there. End of story, bottom line. So I think he will have a nice start here. I wouldn't lay a dollar seventy with the Red Sox against anybody. Minus 300. If Baltimore gets up to plus 290, it's an automatic bet for me, regardless, always anyway, if I can get three to one on any baseball team. But I will take a shot with them. Maybe towards the over, but the Red Sox have been just so inconsistent offensively. They're another one that you look at the stats and they're great, but on a day-to-day basis, they're just really inconsistent. If it wasn't for Devers and Bogarts this year, I mean, Betts is having a down year. He's been in his head the whole time. J.D., I think, is ready to check out. I think he's going to opt out of his contract, which I don't think is a smart move, but I think he's going to. He's not the same leader he was last year. Bogarts is there long term. I like that he came out after signing his deal and had a good year. I think Betts is gone. I think there's a major rehaul here this year for the Red Sox. David Dombrowski will be fired at the end of the year. We'll see what direction they go to. But as far as this one, yeah, I wouldn't bet the Red Sox. Maybe a lean to the over. I expect Uvalde to pitch well, though. Yeah, I'm really fascinating to see what's going to happen with this as Sean Harden is joining me right here on the podcast. It's just always one of those things when a guy is making his first start in a long time after coming off the injured list, after being in the bullpen, something like that. It's one of those spots where I always have a tough time taking that pitcher, especially if they're like getting called up to the big leagues or something like that. I don't know how you gauge these spots, but it's just one of those things where even if the guy performs well, you know that you're not going to get a lot of length, and then you have to rely upon a bullpen. And we know that other than really like the Cleveland Indians and the San Francisco Giants, there's just not too many reliable ones out there. No, I agree with that. And normally in the long term, you're not going to make money betting guys making their first start. I do think because he's been pitching a little bit and because he wanted to be a starter so much that I think, you know, this is a big start for him just to sort of prove it and stick there the rest of the year. I don't think you'll see Andrew Kashner start another game. That's for sure. Although he was talking after he gave up nine runs for the third game in a row, whatever it was, saying, well, I got eight more starts, you know, and it's like, no, dude, yes, you've you've pitched for a losing team for 10 straight years, but yeah, that doesn't work here in Boston. If you don't pitch well, you don't just keep starting. So that's going to become a big issue. He's going to get demoted to the bullpen. He's got a big attitude problem. That will definitely blow up in the Red Sox face as well, too. Yeah, Cashner became a cash burner the second that he left Baltimore. But I know that you've been doing a good job of being able to find spots on Sunday. And I feel like handicapping on Sundays is a little bit different. It's getaway day for a lot of these teams. You've got a lot of day games, which is the opposite of what you have throughout the week usually. 
How does your handicapping in baseball in general change when you're betting on a Sunday rather than, say, like a Tuesday where you've got all night games and everything like that? Because I do feel like it is important to have a little bit of a different criteria when you're betting on different days. 100%. And definitely, it depends on the time of the year, too. Early in the year, I'm looking for guys that, you know, a lot of people will be sitting. As you get into the middle of the summer, you get the same type of deal. It's hot playing in a hot area, you're going to give guys a lot of rest. It's worth that more so than competing. But as you get down the stretch, one thing you really look into is teams that are completely out of it. When they're in cities like Atlanta, Miami, New York, anything like that with good nightlife, chances are they went out Saturday night. Chances are that, you know, a lot of them are not in great shape to play baseball on a hot day Sunday morning, nor do they even really care, to be honest with you. And it's just human nature. These guys are out there, you know, for six months together on the road, nonstop, day in, day out. If they can blow off some steam here and there, especially when you're out of contention and you don't feel guilty for doing so, they're going to take advantage. So that's a main spot that I look for this time of year. As far as today, you know, I don't think Kansas City is a party city. I'm just going to go out on a limb. We know Tampa Bay isn't. They're just can't wait to get out of there. Colorado, yes. New York, but Cleveland's playing them. The list goes on. There's not many two spots. The one that, that I am interested in is the Dodgers, right? They're a machine, and maybe we'll talk about that one. But they're in Atlanta. It's a party city. They're a team that could take a night off. Although, this is a team that I used to fade all the time. The Dodgers were terrible on Sundays two years ago. They used to take days off all the time and just win. This team's a little different. When you're hitting four or five home runs every game, it's not easy to lose and you get such depth that even if you do give a couple guys a night off they can pick it up but ultimately that's what I'm looking for I'm looking for bad teams in party cities to fade on Sunday afternoon and I was gonna ask you if there was anything that really stood out on this card to you for Sunday and sounds like you've got something for that LA Dodgers versus Atlanta Braves game currently I'm seeing this game off the board because the Dodgers were a little bit uncertain of who they were going to go with as a starter meanwhile we do know that it's going to be Max Freed for the Atlanta Braves, but even if it is someone a little bit random for the Dodgers, like maybe a Derek May or something like that, I do think that they've got a decent shot because Max Freed has been an up-and-down pitcher ever since the summer began, and both these teams score runs aplenty, as we know. Yeah, I mean, you look at this Dodger team. They left their last game at home. They hit four home runs. They win 9-3. They go out and play Miami on the road for three games. All they did was hit 14 home runs in those three games, followed up with another four home run performance in Atlanta to start that series. You know, it's tough not to bet the overs. You know, I mean, May, if May goes, he's been decent, but this Atlanta offense is way better than he's seen. And the Dodgers have smashed lefties now that Dave Roberts finally let these kids hit because, you know, Bellinger was like one for... 18, so automatically he couldn't hit lefties last year when they started it, so they didn't let him play. Even in the playoffs, if you remember, he would just keep Bellinger out of the lineup versus lefties. Like looking back at that, when you tell me, oh, yeah, Cody Bellinger, yeah, actually Dave Roberts wouldn't let him play in the playoffs versus lefties. Like that is so stupid and probably cost him a title, but they've been mashing lefties and Muncie, him, up and down the lineup. I like where you're going with the overruns and it's Sunday. I don't think Atlanta will sit anybody, but even if the Dodgers do, they're just so deep. Kiki Hernandez, a lefty masher, everybody else. I'd lean towards the over in that one as the Dodgers just continue to mash the ball.
Oh, absolutely. And I always like your work on Twitter as Sean Harnish has been my guest right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Sean, let the good people at home know where they can get a little bit more of you. I know that you're on Twitter at Guppy Money. And I know that you're very accessible and you do a great job of being able to try to help out some people that might be a little bit newer to sports betting. Yeah, that's the main thing is you can find me on Twitter at Guppy Money. You can reach out, DM me. There's no terrible questions. I know how bad social media can be judging people, and it's tough to ask what you think might be a stupid question. Get in my DM, ask me. You know, people ask me all the time, what does one you mean? You know, as far as like one unit. Don't be spending your money or betting your money or tailing on somebody if you're not positive exactly what things mean. And don't feel like you can't ask because you think you should know. I'll be there for that. Also, as we get into college football here, I'll be doing some previews, little quick 10-minute videos. Those will be up on Twitter for each conference. So a lot of fun. My favorite time of the year is coming around September, October time. It should be fun. Pennant races, football. Can't wait. Listening to you produce on VEASAN. You're doing a great job over there, by the way. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. And like Sean said, there aren't any stupid questions. Whatever I post, like off the board OTB, whenever I'm posting plays, Mm -hmm. I'll have people ask me that. Always happy to answer that. There's really not many stupid questions, except will this 15-team parlay cash? My answer will be, uh, you probably shouldn't play that. But aside from that, it is one of those things where always feel free to ask myself, Sean, anyone else on Twitter questions. And if that person is really in there to help you out, they certainly will give you an answer. And Sean is certainly one of those people. So a big thanks to him for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time that I do give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so on a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to Sean Harnish, professional handicapper, for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting card, and I do so on a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes are made to these plays going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNNRSquare D1. Some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, bet on, everything like that. With some of these plays, we are in holding mode. We're waiting to see if there's going to be some lineup changes, line moves. There's a couple games that are off the board due to pitching changes, everything like that. So as per usual, everything I lock in going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare one Any changes, everything like that. And as always, going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order and keeping you guys abreast of what's all locked in and what's pending as I go along. As we start with 9:51, 9:52 on the betting rotation, the San Diego Padres head to Philadelphia to face off against the Phillies. Jason Vargas goes for the Phillies. Joey Lucchese for the San Diego Padres. Total in this game is 10 over and under, both at minus 110. 
This is pretty much a pick'em. If you're looking at the Padres, laying anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, with the Phillies, laying anywhere between minus 104 and minus 105. And the Padres were able to get to the Phillies yesterday, but... With Joey Lucchese, he's been very decent all year long, 7-7, 7, 4-2-5 ERA. He's allowing right around 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings, but the big thing is, at home, his ERA is hovering right around three. On the road, it is north of five. In recent form with this guy, not necessarily the best. He hasn't made it past the sixth inning in a start since July 7th, and he has wound up giving up three earned runs or more in three out of his last five starts. Meanwhile, you take a look at Jason Vargas. He certainly hasn't been great since going over to Philadelphia as well. This is a man that's given up just under 1.4 home runs per nine innings, 6-6 and six record, 4.03 ERA. His last three starts haven't necessarily been bad. He's given up two earned runs in two out of those last three, but the starts before then in July, in all four of his July starts, he gave up at least three earned runs. So that is a little bit of an issue. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Phillies, it seems like their bats are really starting to wake up. They had an early spout yesterday, and then they went a little bit cold, but Bryce Harper doing a bit better for the team. He's now got 26 home runs. Batting average is above a 250, so he's been doing his part. You've got Reese Hoskins, who's really ice cold though, on base percentage. Now a 381. This is a gentleman that has 24 home runs for the year. JT Riamuto, Gene Segura, along with Cesar Hernandez and Scott Kingery. All guys in between a 272 and a 283. And Corey Dickerson, it's been a nice addition for the year, hitting a 310 between his time with the Phillies and the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then Adam Hazeli has been hitting a 265 to be able to help out the cause as well. But then you take a look at the San Diego Padres. They have to now absorb the loss of Fernando Tatis Jr. at the top lineup. That means that Greg Garcia, Josh Naylor, Manuel Margot, a trio of guys hitting between a 245 and a 265, need to step up in that regard. You've got Manny Machado, who's hitting a 262 for the year. Power hasn't been there recently, but he's now got 26 home runs. We've noticed that Hunter Renfro's been in and out of the lineup. He's hitting a 240. His home run count currently sitting at a 31, but then you have the guys that really need to pick it up with the bat. Ty France, Will Myers, Ian Kinsler, Luis Areas, and Austin Hedges. All guys hitting a 231 or lower, but you have to like what Francisco Mejia is doing. 280 batting average. With both these teams, they've got below average bullpen ERAs, but with the San Diego Padres, their fielding independent in their bullpen has actually been pretty good, so I do think that there is going to be a little bit of positive regression there. I do think that this is a team that is going to be able to score a couple runs in this spot, but I do think that Jason Vargas is going to look a little bit better at home, and I do think that this is a spot where you get a little bit of a lower-scoring win with the Philadelphia Phillies. So, for that reason, going to be taking the Philadelphia Phillies and this total under. With regards to the under, we're looking to see if the juice moves a little bit with regards to the over, but I would certainly take the unjuice 10 that we're seeing right now, and with the Phillies, seeing a little bit of money coming in on the Padres as well as the Phillies were a big favorite to start out with, seeing how high this climbs. 953-954 on the bang rotation. The Cincinnati Reds play also the St. Louis Cardinals. Jack Flaherty goes for the Cardinals. Alex Wood for the Reds. Your total on this game is 9. Over Zeus anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The unders anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Cardinals, going to be laying anywhere between minus 150 and minus 159. Plus price on the Reds is anywhere between plus 140 and plus 149. I'm also seeing a plus 135 out there. You probably don't want that if you're looking back at the Cincinnati Reds, and I'm certainly not because Jack Flaherty, in four out of his last five starts, has given up zero earned runs. This guy has been absolutely magnificent recently. He's done a good job of being able to limit that hard contact. 
Earlier in the year, there was a point where he was giving up nearly two home runs per nine innings. He has exacted that. He's been great at home. He's been great on the road. It doesn't matter where he goes. He's been doing a great job. Meanwhile, Alex Wood, he had a very good start in his first two starts with the Cincinnati Reds coming off the injury list. He wound up giving up a combined four earned runs in those starts. Last two starts, eight innings, giving up eight runs, and he's backed up by a Cincinnati Reds team that is in the bottom five of the league with regards to bullpen ERA over the last 60 days and with the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a team that's in the top five with regards to their bullpen ERA. They certainly had some issues with the pitching yesterday, but you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. They've really been lending themselves to unders because they've got nearly everyone in the lineup hitting between that range of a 250 and a 265. Dexter Fowler, Taylor Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung, Marcel Ozuna, Yadier Molina, list goes on and on. You got a couple guys hitting below it, though. You do have Harrison Bader, Matt Wieters, and Matt Carpenter all hitting below a 225. And Cole Wong has emerged. He's hitting a 280. And the key for this St. Louis Cardinals team is the fact that Paul Goldschmidt has 27 home runs on the year. And then you've also got 21 home runs out of Marcel Ozuna and Paul DeYoung. Meanwhile, with Matt Carpenter, he does a decent job of getting on base on Yario Munoz. Whenever he's out there, he's hitting a 275 as well, but not a whole lot special there. I will say for the Cincinnati Reds, they are starting to get some production out of their younger players. Aristides Aquino and Philip Irvin are both hitting above a 333. Freddie Galvis, newly acquired, has 19 total home runs so far this year. He's got a 275 batting average. Nick Sensel is hitting a 270 himself. And then you got Josh Van Meter and Jose Iglesias. Both hitting at 293, guys like Jose Peraza, Kyle Farmer, company. They're hitting right around 8240, and Tucker Barnard is hitting at 230, but they are on the rise a little bit. This is a Reds team that has been the top under team out there in the big leagues, but with the way that their bats are starting to merge and the pitching has been letting them down in the bullpen, it's starting to flip a little bit, but I do think that Jack Flaherty, a very good antidote to that, and I think that the Cardinals are going to jump all over Alex Wood, and Flaherty is going to continue his dominance. So for that reason, looking at the Cardinals on the run line, I'm going to be taking this total under. With regards to the under, I'm currently seeing that under at plus 105, so that is very appealing. I'm going to see if this gets to a reasonable 9.5. If not, I'm going to take that plus price. Meanwhile, with the run line of the St. Louis Cardinals currently seeing that plus 105, I'd like to be able to get a little bit more of a plus price, if at all possible. 9.55, 9.56 on the bang rotation. This game is currently off the board as it is. The Atlanta Braves playing host the LA Dodgers, and it's going to be Tony Gonsolin going for the Dodgers. I was guessing Derek May when I was talking to Sean Harnish, so I was not correct there, but I was correct with the Atlanta Braves, and it's going to be Mad Max Freed going for them. This game is presently off the board. And with Gonsolin, he's actually been very solid at both the big league level and the minor league level. He's made two starts and a relief appearance for the LA Dodgers, 321 ERA. He's only given up one home run and one walk. Not necessarily the greatest swing and miss guy, but he's got pretty good stuff there as well. The only knock on him is the fact that when he's out there at the AAA level, he hasn't really been going past five innings in any of his starts. Meanwhile, with Max Freed, you take a look at what he's done over his last five starts. It's been pretty good. He's given up zero or one earned runs in four of them. This is a guy that was really struggling between the months of June and July. He had four starts in which he gave up five earned runs, and then he also had an additional two in which he gave up three earned runs. So he certainly had his struggles. Things seem to be 
getting back into form for him. And for both these teams, they've got such lethal lineups. For the Atlanta Braves, it all starts with Ronald Acuna Jr. Freddie Freeman. Ronald Acuna Jr., a man that has went deep 35 times and is hitting right around a 300. Meanwhile, for Freeman, he's got an on-base percentage of a 400, 306 batting average. He has went deep 31 times. Josh Donaldson, 29 home runs. His batting average is right around a 270. Charlie Goberson is hitting a 300 for this team. Got a couple guys in Tyler Flowers and Denny Echeverria that need to pick it up. They're both hitting below a 230 along with Johan Camargo, but Adam Duvall has been a little bit of a nice shot in the arm along with Austin Riley. These guys have been up and down at the big league level and have been giving some contributions. And then Ozzy Balbies hitting a 300 himself. Meanwhile, for the LA Dodgers, you've got Cody Bellinger, who's got 41 home runs, is hitting a 320 over 90 RBI. Jack Peterson at the top lineup has been really regressing a little bit. 240 batting average, 24 home runs, but ever since the break, he hasn't been doing a whole lot, but Max Muncy is doing a whole lot of shredding. 30 home runs for him. He's got a batting average hovering right around 260. The young guys like Matt Beattie, Will Smith, and Edwin Rios have been stepping up as well. All these guys are hitting above a 290. In the case of Will Smith, he's got a home run every 10 or so at bats. Corey Seager's been hitting a 270. And with the Dodgers, I do feel like they've got the better bullpen in this spot. Guys like Casey Sadler, Pedro Baez have been doing a good job. Kenley Jansen a little bit untrustworthy. But then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. Well, do you have any faith in guys like Mark Melanson and Shane Green right now? I certainly do not. So even though I don't think that Gonsolin is going to give as much length as Freed, I'm going to be looking at the Dodgers. If this total is in double digits, I'll probably look at it under. If you're seeing a total more around like a nine, maybe even a nine and a half, going to be looking at it over, and I give a slight lean to the Dodgers. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRS41 for set plays there. 9.57, 9.58 on the bag rotation. The Milwaukee Bears hit the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Eric Fetty Wap goes for the Nationals. Chase Anderson for the Milwaukee Brewers. Your total on this game, ranging between 10.5 and, and 11. On the 10 and halfs, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The juice on the under, anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. On the 11s, under is minus 115, over is minus 105, and this is essentially a pick'em game where you look. With Washington Nationals laying anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110, meanwhile the Brewers, you're laying anywhere between minus 102 and minus 105, and with Chase Anderson, this is a man that has been doing a very good job as in his six starts ever since the beginning of the month of July, he has given up two earned runs in all but one of them, and the other start, he wound up giving up three runs in his last start against the Minnesota Twins. He also had one in which he gave up one as well, and he had a couple goose eggs in there as well. So, all in all, he's been doing a very good job. He's just really kept the game out in front of him. Not a guy that's really going to go past six innings. And that's really the MO of Eric Fetty as well. Eric Fetty, 3-2 and two record. He's got a 4.09 ERA. Pitches a little bit better at home than he does on the road. He had one blow-up start coming off the injured list in which he gave up nine against the Atlanta Braves. Best said, this is a guy that has given up more than three earned runs in just one other start ever since May 21st. So, he has been a rock in that regard with both these teams. The bullpens have not been really doing a whole heck of a lot ever since the All-Star break. And I will say this, the Milwaukee Brewers were able to get their bats going on Saturday, but then again, so were the Washington Nationals. As for the Milwaukee Brewers, right now the team is really being carried by Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich, a guy that has been in and out of the lineup recently, has been just doing a little bit of everything. 330 batting average, over 90 RBI, one of the top base healers out there in baseball to go with 39 home runs. Kesson here and Trent Grisham, though, two young guys are in a 300. You've got Yasmani Grandal, Mike Moustakis, Eric Thames, a trio of guys hitting between a 255 and a 260. In the case of Moustakis, he's got his home run count at a 27 and Yasmani Grandal 20, but 
Both these guys have been slowing down with regards to the power, but Ryan Braun, now has 17 home runs. He went deep yesterday, 285 batting average for him. You need to get a little bit more out of guys like Orlando Garcia, Manny Pina, and Travis Shaw, though. They're all hitting below a 230. And then for the Washington Nationals, enemy and Trey Turner at the top line of Pep Magnificent. These guys, along with Juan Soto, owing between a 285 and a 295. And then you got Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon. Both have an on-base percentage of a 400. In the case of Juan Soto, he has pounded out 25 home runs. He has pounded out 26 home runs. Anthony Rendon has won team 26 times as well as Ruba Cabrera ever since coming over to the Washington Nationals has really been able to bolster his average as he, Matt Adams, Victor Robles, and Brian Dozier all hitting between a 235 and a 249 in the case of Victor Robles. Kurt Suzuki at the catcher spot hitting a 265 himself. And you gotta hope that Howie Kendrick is gonna be able to see some more at-bats as well. This is a guy that for the years hitting above a 300 before he got injured was really doing a terrific job for this team. It is one of these situations where I do think that the bullpens are going to give up some runs, but at the same time, I do think that both these guys are going to be able to deliver a little bit of a better start for the Milwaukee Brewers. I have a little bit more faith in their bullpen than the Nationals. The Nationals just have let you down with the bullpen so many times. They've got the third worst bullpen ERA in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break and won the bottom three for the entire year. So for that reason, looking at the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm going to be taking this total under. would like to see the under on 11 be unjuiced before I fire in on that. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, I'm noticing a little bit of money coming in on the Washington Nationals as well. So I'm in wait and see mode on both of those, but certainly going to be firing them in. 959-960 on the bank rotation. The Colorado Rockies play with the Miami Marlins. Jordan Yamimoto goes for the Miami Marlins. Peter Lambert for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game is 13 and a half. Unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the fish, you're going to be getting a plus price anywhere between plus 140 and plus 150. Meanwhile, if you'd like to lay it with the Colorado Rockies, that is anywhere between minus 155 and minus 160. Peter Lambert has been lending himself to a little bit of hard contact. Meanwhile, Jordan Yamimoto, over the course of his last four starts, has an ERA north of seven. This was a gentleman in Yamimoto that got off to a really good start. Things with the skids from there, and I guess you could really say the same about Peter Lambert as well. But in the case of Lambert, he's certainly giving out more hard contact. His home run rate is right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings. Peter Lambert also giving up a little bit more than three walks per nine innings. Yamimoto, more like four walks per nine innings, but his home run rate, more around 1.3 home runs per nine innings. So he does a little bit of a better job there. And the whip of Yamimoto, 1.05 Peter Lambert, a buck 60. So he certainly has been giving up a little bit more hard contact. You also have to say this for the Miami Marlins. They don't have quite the offense that the Colorado Rockies do, but they do have a couple guys that have been coming around with the bat, and it's all let off by Brad Anderson. Anderson has really proven himself to be the power bat of this lineup. He's hitting for a nearly 260. His home run count currently at a 20. You've got Sterling Castro, Neil Walker, Jorge Alfaro, all hitting right around a 260 as well. John Birdie and Garrett Cooper, both hitting in the neighborhood of a 285 as well. Got a couple guys that need to pick it up. Curtis Granderson, Lewis Brinson, Yadier Rivera are all guys hitting below the Mendoza line, which is 200, but they seem to be getting a little bit better in that regard. Meanwhile, for the Colorado Rockies, you've got three guys at the top of the line, Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado that all have between 24 and 28 home runs with Story providing one yesterday. Story's hitting a 290. Meanwhile, the other two gentlemen hitting a 300 or better. You've got a bunch of guys that are hitting between a 280 and a 290 as well. Daniel Murphy, Remy Altapia, Tony Walters all do that. Ryan McMahon and Ian Desmond both hitting between a 255 and a 265 themselves. So you certainly have a lot of contact with the Colorado Rockies. Now the issue with the Colorado Rockies is the fact that ever since 
the All-Star break. They have had by far the worst bullpen out there in the big leagues. The Rockies are interesting because they score the most runs of any team out there in the big leagues at home. They also have the worst home ERA in the big leagues. On the road, they've actually got a top 10 team ERA and are in the bottom 10 with regards to runs per game. But I do think that Yamimoto gives a better start than Peter Lambert. I do think that because the Miami Marlins offense is a little bit handicapped that this is going to be a bit of a lower scoring game. So for that reason, going to be taking it under, but going to be taking a shot here on the fish because I also do like their bullpen a little bit more than that of the Colorado Rockies, just in Wayne Simo because I'm seeing a lot of money coming in on the Colorado Rockies right now. 961-962 on the bang rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks play OC San Francisco Giants. Mad Bum, Madison Bumgarner goes for the Giants. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly on the bump for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Total on this game is 9. Over and under both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Giants, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 112 and minus 120. Plus price on the Arizona Diamondbacks. Anywhere between plus 102 and plus 110. Merrill Kelly actually had a very good stretch of, I would say, 8 or 9 starts between the beginning of June and the middle of July in which he was looking very good. But Madison Bumgarner, well, he's been doing it all year long. With Madison Bumgarner, he did get off to a little bit of a rocky start as well, but his home run rate is back down to right around 1.3 per nine innings, 363 ERA. He did have a little bit of a bad outing when he went to Coors Field, giving up five runs there, but he's given up more than four earned runs in three starts ever since May 23rd, and he hasn't given up more than five earned runs in a start, really, other than that one start in which he had against the LA Dodgers. So he has been very solid. Walk rate right around 1.8-ish walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly, he has been giving up the home runs right around 1.8-ish per nine innings, 8-12 record, 475 ERA. This is a man that has given up three runs or more in each out of his last four starts. Before then, he had been doing an absolutely terrific job. The wheels seem to have fallen off with the San Francisco Giants. They back up Madison Baumgartner with the second-best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, to call it shaky would be generous, and they got absolutely no length whatsoever out of Taylor Clark yesterday. That is a little bit of a recipe for disaster. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, they actually just don't hit as well at home as they do on the road. They've got a losing record at home. Meanwhile, on the road, they actually have a winning record. But with this team, you do have a lot of guys that are in between a 270 and a 275. Adam Jones, David Peralta, Eduardo Escobar, Nick Ahmad, Carson Kelly, all in that neighborhood. In the case of Eduardo Escobar, he certainly has been the best power bat for this team as he has pounded out 28 home runs with Cattell Marte. He has been in and out of the lineup a little bit recently, but he's hitting nearly a 315. He's got 24 home runs. Wilmer Flores has upped his average to a 300. I will say for Jake Lamb and Alex Avila, both these guys are hitting below a 225, but they both have on-base percentages nearly 140 points higher than their actual batting average. Draw Dyson, Tim LeCastro, a pair of guys are hitting right around a 255 to a 260, and Draw Dyson, one of the best base heroes out there in the big leagues. And then when you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, getting back Austin Dickerson is huge. This is a guy that is hitting a 330, was really able to take off, ironically enough, in a series a few months ago against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Got a couple famine bats for the San Francisco Giants. Scooter, Jeanette, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, all laying a 230 or lower, but they're managing to get some power out of guys like Kevin Pillar, Evan Longoria, and Mike Kusremski, who had a three-home run game a few days ago. And this is a Giants team that at home hits right around 3.3 runs per game. On the road, they've been averaging more like 5.3 to 5.4 runs per game, so I think that's an interesting split. And I do think that Madison Bumgarner is going to get a lot of support, and he's going to hold down the Arizona Diamondbacks. So for that reason, looking at the Giants on the run line, 
and this total under. With the under, certainly would like to be able to get a little bit of better juice here, so I'm in Wayne C mode there. And with the Giants run line, that's currently at plus 135. Without tight this line is, I would expect it to be a little bit better, so I'm holding off on that as well. 963, 964 on the bank rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates play us the Chicago Cubs. Jose Quintana goes for the Cubs. Mitch Keller goes for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 9.5. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The unders anywhere between minus 110. And even if you're looking at the Buccos, you're going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 135 and plus 145 if you want to lay with Cubbies. That is anywhere between minus 148 and minus 154. And this is a spot where I just have to look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. We mentioned it in the last segment with Sean Harnish. The Cubs are a hot mess on the road. 24 and 39. Jose Quintana, I will say this for him. He was a guy that I would say a few weeks ago on this podcast, I kept saying, you could just shock him up for six innings and giving up three runs. And it had been true, but over his last couple starts, he's looked very good. In the month of August, he has so far made three starts. He has went a combined 19 innings in them, given up four runs, and he's coming off an outing in which he had 14 strikeouts against the Philadelphia Phillies. That's pretty good. Meanwhile, with Mitch Keller, this is a highly touted prospect. His first two starts as a Pittsburgh Pirate did not go as planned, but his last start against the Angels was actually pretty good. Five innings pitch, gave up one run at the AAA level. He did a very good job of being able to keep games out in front of him. Was not necessarily dishing out as many free passes as he is at the big league level. At the big league level, he's been giving up right around four walks per nine innings, but he's got electric stuff, and he's backed up by a Pittsburgh Pirates team that could not hit to save their lives with men in scoring position yesterday, but all in all, have quite a few guys with very nice batting averages. You've got Kevin Newman and Brian Reynolds both hitting well above a 300. Brian Reynolds hitting a 330, Kevin Newman a 301, whatever you got Jose Ozuna out there as well. He's hitting above a 300. Then you've just got a whole laundry list of guys between a 280 and a 290. Sarah Maite, Josh Bell, Melky Cabrera, Call Moran on that neighborhood, and then you chuck in there Adam Frazier is hitting at 267. The problem with this team recently has been power. Josh Bell, ever since the All-Star break, has not been himself. Though for the year, he still has 31 home runs and 98 RBIs. Sterling Marte actually doing a terrific job with stealing bases. He's got 20 home runs, but that has really slowed down for this team as well as guys like Colin Moran have not been able to step up in that regard as well. Meanwhile, with the Chicago Cubs, you've got a very fearsome middle of the lineup with Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and Chris Bryant, along with Dick Castellanos, all hitting between a 282 and a 290. Chris Bryant was able to go deep yesterday. That was his 25th home run of the year. You've got Javi Baez, who's got 28 dingers, and then Anthony Rizzo has 22 of them. Kyle Schwarber has not really been doing the job with his average and was out of the lineup yesterday, but he's got right around 28 home runs himself. Jonathan Lucroy, ever since getting picked up from the Angels, has seen new life. He's now hitting right around a 250 for the year, and with the Cubs, he's hitting above a 300. Ian Happ has been hitting a 280 since getting called up to the big leagues, and Jason Hayward slumping a little bit, but he's hitting a 265. And right now, with this Cubs bullpen, it actually is above league average with regards to ERA for the year, but you've got Craig Kimbrell out. Pedro Strope right now looks terrible. You've got guys like Kyle Ryan regressing, and with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you got to think that a guy like a Felipe Vasquez is going to be able to come in and help out this team, even though the Pirates rank at the bottom 10 in regards to bullpen ERA themselves. And I do think that you're going to be able to get a good start here from Mitch Keller, and I think that Kitana does his job, but I think that the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be able to pull this game out. So for that reason, going to be going with the plus price of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and we're going to 
could be taking this total under. With regards to the under, looking to see how good of juice I'm able to get. If not, maybe even a 10. If I'd be able to get a 10, I'd be very content there. If not, I'll take the unjuiced 9.5. And, and I've already locked in the Pittsburgh Pirates as a lot of money came in early on the Pittsburgh Pirates and the line has settled into what we've got right now. 965-966 on the Bank of Tation. It is the Boston Red Sox and they're going to be playing also the Baltimore Orioles. When I was doing the interview with Sean Harnish, it was supposed to be Gabriel Yanoa going for the Baltimore Orioles, but you know what? It's actually going to be Ty Block. And then for the Boston Red Sox, it is still Nathan Eovaldi. And it's really hard to cap this game just because with Nathan Eovaldi, he has been out there in the bullpen all year long. He's pitched a combined 35 innings between his few starts and his few relief appearances, 577 ERA. I will say this, though. When he made his debut last year for the Tampa Bay Rays, was lights out. When he was traded and made his debut for the Boston Red Sox, was lights out as well. Meanwhile, do you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles, whether it be Noah, whether it be Tyler Block, all these guys have an ERA north of five. They're backed up by a bullpen that, let's face it, is absolutely brutal. I will say this for the Baltimore Orioles, though. They do have some guys that are doing a very decent job of being able to get on base. You do have Hanser Alberto, who's sitting above a 300, and Anthony Santander hitting a little bit under a 300 as well. Renato Nunes has been slowing down a little bit with regards to his home run count. But then you've got he and Trey Boomer and Mancini. Two guys that have a combined 55 home runs between them. In the case of Mancini, he's hitting a 275 and Renato Nunes a 243. You do have to like the fact that Pedro Severino and Jonathan Villar have been doing a decent job as well. Pedro Severino is hitting a 268 out of three home run game earlier this year. Jonathan VR has upped his average to a 272. But then you've got guys that really need to pick it up with their bat. Richie Martin, Stevie Wilkerson, DJ Stewart, and Chris Davis. All guys hitting a 225 or lower. Then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. You're getting a lot out of just about everyone on this roster. Christian Vasquez, Andrew Benatendi, and Mookie Betts all in between a 280 and a .290. That middle of the lineup with Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, and J.D. Martinez is absolutely lethal. In the case of Rafael Devers, he's got 23 home runs. J.D. Martinez has 28. Xander Bogarts, 27. You've even got Mitch Moreland back in the fold. He's still hitting just a 232 for the year, but you got to feel like he's going to be able to pick that up, and he actually has ever since coming off the injury list. But then you got Marco Hernandez and Brock Holt, both hitting above a 315. Chris Owings got recently acquired from the Kansas City Rails. We'll see if he's able to give them any life. And it seems like the Boston Red Sox in general doing a little bit of a better job with their bullpen. Meanwhile, the Baltimore Orioles, just a hot mess. Right now, the number that I'm seeing offshore with this game is 12. And the Baltimore Orioles are a massive underdog right around a plus 260. For the Boston Red Sox, it's a minus 310. If you see public money come in, and I'm going to be looking at this the same way that Sean Harnish is, at $3, I would have to take a shot on the Baltimore Orioles, just with all the unknowns of Nathan Eovaldi and everything like that. And with this total, I'm considering the over. I want to see what the Boston Red Sox are going to be doing behind Nathan Eovaldi, how long he's going to be starting. So I'm going to be doing some research here. But right now, the leans are going to be to the Boston Red Sox on the run line, as long as it doesn't creep up to $3 for the Baltimore Orioles. And right now, it's Blurring and over, but as always, once a line is posted everywhere, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRS41, then I'll have plays from there. 967, 968 on the betting rotation. It is the New York Yankees, and they are playing host to the Cleveland Indians. Mike Clevenger hopes to make the Indians the Windians, and he goes for Cleveland. Meanwhile, CC Sabathia on the bump for the Yankees. Your total on this game is 10. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Unders anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Indians, you're laying anywhere between minus 123 and minus 128. Seeing a minus 122 out there as well. Meanwhile, plus price on the Yankees between plus 110 and plus 117. 
And CC Sabathia has been giving up way over two home runs per nine innings. This is a guy that just has not been effective recently. Meanwhile, Mike Clevenger, he's given up more than one earned run in just two out of his last seven starts. Now, he did get roughed up at Boston, but Boston is just a team that for his career has given him a little bit of a bugaboo. I'm not sure how and I'm not sure why, but Clevenger also getting right around 13 strikeouts per nine innings. Walks are a little bit high. He's given out right around three per nine innings, but then you take a look at CeCe Zavathia. The recent form isn't good. The year form in general isn't good. He's coming off the injured list, making his first start since July, and in the month of July, he gave up three earned runs or more in every one of his starts. So this is not a guy that in recent form has been very good, and in his last 10 starts, he's given up three earned runs or more in eight of them. Meanwhile, with the New York Yankees, you do back them up with a very good bullpen. Guys like Tommy Canley, Adam Adovino, all these guys have been doing a very good job. But with the Cleveland Indians, they've got the number one bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. And they've got a lot of guys that are now hitting the ball as well. With Francisco Lindor and Carlos Santana, they're both hitting between a 293 and a 300. Lindor has got 20 home runs. Carlos Santana, 29. Between his time with the Padres and the Cleveland Indians, Femio Reyes has went deep 29 times. Yasiel Puig has 24-25 home runs himself. Jose Ramirez has bumped up his average. He and Jason Kipnis, after very slow starts, both hitting a 253. And Jose Ramirez now is in the 20 home run club himself. Kevin Pilawaki wound up getting the start at catcher yesterday, but got to think that Roberto Perez and his 230 average of 19 home runs is going to be back out there today. Gregory Allen hitting a 245 whenever you need a guy like Taylor Nankwin and Jordan Luplo to play the outfield as well. Both of them are hitting a 270 or greater. Meanwhile, the New York Yankees, Gio Urshela and DJ LeMayu have been absolutely terrific. you got LeMayu who's got 20 home runs and a 338 batting average. Urshela, 18 home runs and a 338 batting average. D.D. Gregorius and... Aaron Judge are leaving a little bit of something to be desired with their batting average, both hitting right around to 265, and Judge got the day off yesterday, but you've got Brett Gardner back out there. He's hitting a 250. Glaber Torres has been terrific. Two home runs yesterday. He's got 29 on the year, 284 batting average. Mike Talkman is hitting a 290. Cameron Maben, a 310. You've got Gary Sanchez in and out of the lineup now. Austin Romine got the start yesterday. He's hitting a 272, and Sanchez got right around 24 to 25 home runs himself, so you've obviously got the Bronx Bombers really firing out cylinders as eight out of their last 11 home games have went over the total, but I do think that Mike Clevenger is really going to silence these bats. I think that CC Sabathia is going to be decent, but he's not going to give a whole lot of length, and I think that's actually a good thing for the under because that'll allow the great bullpen of the Yankees to take over from there, and I do think that this is a spot where the Indians should be able to get to CC Sabathia early and often, so for that reason, I'm going to be looking at a run line of the Cleveland Indians. Currently seeing that right around plus 130. would like to be able to get a little bit of a better number there, but I've already locked in this total under. I was able to get an unjuiced 10.5 on that. 969-970 on the bang rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays play host the Seattle Mariners. Yusei Kikuchi goes for the Mariners. Wilmer Font for the Toronto Blue Jays. Your total on this game is 10.5, and I'm seeing an 11 out there as well. On the 11, under is juice of minus 115. The over is minus 110. On the 10.5s, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105. With the Blue Jays, you're laying anywhere between minus 153 and minus 160. Meanwhile, your plus price with the M's is going to be anywhere between plus 140 and plus 150. And this is a spot where I've got to look at the Toronto Blue Jays. If you bet $100 on every one of Wilmer Font's seven starts between his time with the Blue Jays and the New York Mets, you're up $490, according to our friends at Odd Shark. This is a man that obviously is not going to give you a lot of length. 30 and a third innings, despite the fact that he's made seven starts, but he's giving up right around one home run per nine innings. He's done a great job as well getting swings and misses. His strikeout rate is right around 11 per nine innings, and then you take a look at Yusei Kikuchi. He's got the best over rate of any starting pitcher out there in the big leagues that qualifies, and 
He has just been a hot mess all year long. He has given up five earned runs or more in three out of his last five starts, and he's given up two earned runs or fewer in just two starts ever since June 13th. This has been a man that you just cannot rely upon. Kikuchi is giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. At 126 innings, he's given up 31 home runs. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, are obviously taking the wholesale approach here after Wilmer Font. The bulk guy will be Thomas Pannone, who's got an ERA right around five. He's been getting hit around a little bit more in his most recent couple starts. So I do think that this is going to be a very good move because we've noticed that whatever Wilmer Font has been opening for the Toronto Blue Jays, they just seem to be winning. And what else helps the Toronto Blue Jays is the fact that they've got a lot of power. Now, Vlad Guerrero Jr. leaving yesterday's game is critical because Reese McGuire and Bo Bichette are the only other two starters from yesterday's game that started that have a batting average above a 240. So that is obviously an issue. You've got guys like Kavan Biggio, Brandon Jury, Rowdy Telez, Justin Smoke, Billy McKinney, Teoscar Hernandez, all hitting a 230 or lower. But in the case of Randall Gritchick, he's got 23 home runs. Justin Smoke has got 19 himself. Derek Fisher has been getting a couple dingers. Teoscar Hernandez has been doing a great job of being able to go yard as well. So you're getting a lot of power out of the Toronto Blue Jays, but they have let go of guys like Freddie Gallops and Eric Sogard, which hurts the team's batting average. Meanwhile, the Seattle Mariners, they certainly have been making some moves as well, and well, they've got one guy that's right now hitting above a 300, and that would be Austin Nolan. Limited at bats, he's been very good for this team. Daniel Vogelback is an interesting case. He's hitting a 223, but a 250 on base. He's got 27 home runs for the year. You've also seen Kyle Seager really rise up. He's now got a 242 average with 15 home runs. This is a guy that just always seems to put up numbers in garbage time. J.P. Crawford has looked like garbage Joe recently. Batting average down to a 238. You've got Malik Smith, who's been in and out of the line the past couple days. But top bases are out there in the big leagues, only in right around at 235, though, but you've got D. Gordon and other speeds are out there, but then Keon Broxson and Dylan Moore along with Mac Williamson are lying below the Mendoza line. You've got a lot of bad batting averages, but Tim Lopez is hitting at 260. That's helping the team out, and Oscar Navarez and Thomas Murphy combined for the third most home runs at the catcher spot of any duo out there in the big leagues, but I do think that this is a spot in which the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to get another terrific open out of Wilmer Font with Yusei Kikuchi. He has been an over-machine all year long, but I feel like the bookmakers are starting to adjusted with that. That's why we're seeing an 11 in pretty much all spots and I think that 11, it's just become a little bit too much. So for that reason, going to be taking this total under, but I'm going to be looking at the Blue Jays on the run line. With the run line price of the Blue Jays, currently seeing that at plus 115. Probably going to take it, just in wait and see mode to see if anyone else posts a little bit of a better number before I fire in on that. 971-972 on the bank rotation. You got the Tampa Bay Rays playing those, the Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd goes for the Detroit Tigers for the Tampa Bay Rays. This is good old to be announced. They wound up scratching their original starter. I'm having a tough time knowing who it was, but when this game was on the board, you were looking at the Detroit Tigers being right around a plus 165 to plus 170-ish underdog, and with the Rays, you were laying in the neighborhood of minus 180, and for good reason, because Matthew Boyd, over his last, I would say, two-plus months, has not been very good. He actually did have a good stretch from early August into late July, in which he had three starts in which he gave up fewer than three earned runs, but he's given up fewer than three earned runs in just three starts since the beginning of June. That is awful. He's giving the team length and everything like that, but he's also giving up nearly two home runs per nine innings as well. Strikeouts are there, 192 punchouts and 146 innings, but man, this guy is not doing much at all. He's backed up by a lineup that is not providing a whole lot of offense either. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a team that 
Well, they've right now got one run over the course of their first 22 innings against the Detroit Tigers, but you got to feel like this will help them wake up. You've got quite a few guys that they're not hitting for like 50 home runs or anything like that, but they do have consistent power. Austin Meadows really leading that charge, 280 batting average. He's got 19 home runs. Tommy Pham and Avi Sale Garcia are two guys that are in right around a 265 to a 275 that are pounding out about 15 home runs. Jesus Aguiar has a pop in the bat. He was really struggling with the Brewers, but has done a bit better ever since coming over with the Rays as he, Kevin Kiermeyer, Willie Adamas, all guys hitting between a 243 and a 248. And then you have to like the fact that you're getting some out of G-Man Choi. He's hitting a 260. And then Travis Arnaud is hitting in that neighborhood of a 250. Matt Duffy, a 270 himself. So you've got some pieces out there. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that's just not scratching across much of anything. Three hits yesterday in 13 innings. Now, Miguel Cabrera and Harold Castro are hitting right around a 280. And then you've got Jody Mercer and Nico Goodrum both hitting at 249. But then the fall off is real from there. You do have Travis Demright, who's also hitting a 270. But then the famine bats really come out as DeWell Lugo, Gordon Beckham. Roddy Rodriguez, Jake Rogers, Grayson Griner, Jordan Hicks, all guys hitting at 230 or lower. Victor Reyes is hitting at 260. He's done a pretty solid job, but with no Nick Cassianos, this team doesn't have a lot of power. They don't have a lot of average. They wound up burning up their entire bullpen yesterday. This has blowout city written all over it with the way that the Tampa Bay Rays are able to maneuver and they're able to take their wholesale approach. This is a spot where I'm probably going to be taking a look at the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line and probably going to be taking a look at it over if this number is set below 9. As always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRS41, but I think that the Rays really take this one in grand fashion on Sunday. 973-974 on the bang rotation. The Texas Rangers play also the Minnesota Twins. Martin Perez goes for the Minnesota Twins. Meanwhile, Lance Lynn goes for the Texas Rangers. Total on this game is ranging between 10.5 and, and 11. On the 11s, the under is just a minus 120. The over is even. On the 10.5s, you've got over juice anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and even. If you're looking at the Texas Rangers, going to be laying anywhere between minus 129 and minus 132. Plus price on the Twinkies is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 122. Martin Perez had a little bit of a better start in his last go of it, but all in all, this is a man that has been giving up a lot of runs, and Lance Lynn has been one of the bigger surprises out there in the big leagues. Despite the fact that his home ballpark is Globe Life, he's giving up less than a home run per nine innings, 14-8 and record, 3.54 ERA. The walks are right around, I would say, 2.5 per nine innings, so he's done a very solid job there. He's had a couple hit-or-miss starts recently, but in the month of August, he's given up one run in each of his first three starts. In the month of July, he gave up four runs or more in two out of his last three starts, but he has really picked it up ever since then, delivering a bunch of one-run outings. Meanwhile, with Martin Perez, he's giving up 1.5-ish home runs per nine innings. His ERA is ballooned to a 4.57. His last start against the Milwaukee Brewers was absolutely tremendous, but you take a look at what he did between July and August. He gave up three or more earned runs in five out of his six starts prior to that start, and he wound up giving up four or more runs in four out of those six. And then in the month of June, he had in three of his last four starts, outings in which he gave up four earned runs as well. So he is really letting himself to contact. The Minnesota Twins do not have a bullpen that you can really rely upon. The Texas Rangers likewise. But I will say with the Texas Rangers, their bullpen actually probably is a little bit better. And let's face it, with the way that 
The game was 8-6 in the middle of the fourth yesterday. Both bullpens did get in quite a workout. And with the Minnesota Twins, we all know about their power bats. Nelson Cruz is currently out of the fold, but then you just bring in guys like Mitch Carver, CJ Chrome, Marvin Gonzalez, all guys in between a 258 and a 268. All these guys have a bunch of home runs. Max Kepler, over 30 dingers. This is a Minnesota Twins team that is on pace to set a record for most home runs in a year. Miguel Sano is getting a home run every 12 or so at bats. Mitch Carver has 20 of them. Eddie Rosario has been absolutely amazing. 284 batting average doesn't necessarily walk a lot, but 27 home runs, 80 RBI for him. Luis Arreyes on base percentage of a 422. He's hitting nearly a 355. And then for the Texas Rangers, you do have quite a few guys that have between 18 and 20 home runs. Danny Santana, Sinchu Chu, and No Mazzara all fall in that neighborhood. In the case of Santana, he's hitting a 310. And then Sinchu Chu and No Mazzara right around a 270. M4. No Mazzara, he's done a good job getting right around 60 RBI. Getting Hunter Pence back in the fold is huge. He's hitting a 290, but he has not looked like himself ever since coming off the injured list. And then you have some guys that really need to pick it up with regards to their batting average. Ronald Guzman, Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa, Jose Trevino, Brunette Odor, Jeff Mathis, and Tim Fedorowicz are all guys hitting a 235 or lower. Logan Forsyth hitting a 245 himself. But when you have Lionel DeShield Jr. out there, hitting nearly a 260, one of the top base heroes out there in the big leagues, I hate to say this about Brunette Odor. Even though his batting average stinks, he's got 21 home runs and 65 RBI. But with that said, I do think that this is a spot in which the Texas Rangers are going to get a very good start out of Lance Lynn. I think he's going to help neutralize some of those Minnesota Twins bats. And I do think that the Texas Rangers, even though they've got not such great batting averages, are going to be able to get to Martin Perez and they're going to be able to hit some dingers. And I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game as a result. I'm looking at the Rangers laying the number here, seeing some money coming in on the Minnesota Twins, so I'm in wait and see mode there. But I've already locked in this total under. 975-976 on the banking rotation. The Chicago White Sox hit the road to face off against the LA Angels. Griffin Cannon goes for the Angels. Dylan Cease hopes to not cease to exist for the Chicago White Sox as a total on this game. Nine and a half. Under is anywhere between a minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the White Sox, you're going to be getting a plus price here once again with them. They are anywhere between a plus 155 and a plus 161. Meanwhile, if you want to lay the number with the Angels, it's anywhere between minus 170 and minus 177. I am really not understanding why Griffin Canning is such a big favorite. These are two young pitchers that I think are really going to blossom over the next couple years, but both are certainly going through their growing pains. Griffin Canning has been allowing way too much hard contact. 4-6 and six record. He's giving up 1.55 home runs per nine innings. A little bit over three walks per nine. I will say he has been looking a little bit better recently. Ever since that relief appearance against the Baltimore Orioles. He seems to be buckling it down a little bit in his last two starts. He's given up three earned runs over the course of 10 innings, but you take a look before that, things were really, really rough, including that relief appearance against the Baltimore Orioles. He gave up three earned runs or more in all but three of his outings, and I believe that was a total of nine outings, so in six out of his last nine. Meanwhile, Dilt Cease got off to a really bad start to his career. He's giving up right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings, but you take a look at his last two starts. He's given up a combined four runs over the course of 11 innings to the Detroit Tigers on the road and the Houston Astros, so seems to be buckling down there. In his start against the Mets, he did give up four runs, but he made it seven innings, and I believe that three of those runs came in the seventh inning as well, so he certainly has been doing a little bit of a better job with that regard. Walks are still too high. He's giving out over four and a half walks per nine innings, but with the Chicago White Sox, their offense is really starting to emerge after they had, in 23 out of 31 games, scored four runs or fewer. They have now erupted for more than five or they have now erupted for more than five runs in each of their last five games. This team has adapted to life without Yohan Moncada and getting back Tim Anderson. Obviously a big reason why. 
Tim Anderson hitting a 325 for this team. And then you got a bunch of guys hitting between a 285 and a 295. Ryan Goins, James McCann, Luis Garcia, all in that neighborhood. And then you've got Jose Abreu, who's doing a great job of being able to dole out the home runs. His batting average at 275, 26 home runs, 89 RBI. Eloy Jimenez went deep yesterday for his 21st home run of the year. Wellington Castillo is only hitting a 209, but ever since coming off the injured list, he seems to have found himself. Now Adam Engel hitting a 217 is woeful, but Yomar Sanchez is hitting a 250 himself, so you're getting some relief there. Meanwhile, for the LA Angels, we all know about that man, Mike Trout. He's got 39 home runs, over 90 RBI, hitting nearly a 300. Got a couple guys that do a good job of getting on base as well. Shoei Otani, Daniel Fletcher, and Brian Goodwin hitting between a 280 and a 290. But you got the guys that they need to pick it up. Matt Theus, Max Stassi, Wilfredo Tovar, all guys are in below a 200. Luis Rangifo is hitting a 242. And then you got Cole Calhoun, only hitting a 233. But he has went deep 26 times so far this year. Albert Pools has his batting average right around 245. 18 home runs, 70 RBI for him. And with the LA Angels, you just don't have the bullpen that the Chicago White Sox do. The White Sox actually in the top 10 in regards to bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. The Angels, uh, they have been struggling with their bullpen. And that has been very well documented. And I think that's going to continue here as I think that Dylan C is certainly going to give up a couple runs in this spot. And I do think that both these guys are going to give up some runs. So we're looking at the over. But I'm noticing a lot of money coming in on the Angels. And I like the White Sox. So we're going to be siding with the White Sox. And we can see mode on both of these as the number on the total keeps getting lower and the number on the White Sox keeps getting higher. Good combination for me. 977-978 on the big rotation. The Oakland A's play also the Houston Astros. Zach Granke goes for the throws. Brett Anderson for the Oakland A's. Your total on this game is 9.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 165 and minus 175. Your plus price with the A's is anywhere between plus 150 and plus 155. We're going to be back on the A's team once again as I know that the Houston Astros have been historically good against left-handed pitching, but with Brad Anderson, he has been a terrific home pitcher so far this year. He's done a good job of keeping the ball in the yard, despite the fact that he's getting like five, five and a half strikeouts per nine innings, 10-8 record. He's giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. He's done a good job of really limiting damage. He's given up more than three earned runs in just one start since the beginning of July. Now, he did have one game in which he got completely thrashed against the Tampa Bay Rays in June, but really, you take a look ever since May 20th. He's given up more than three earned runs in two starts, so he's done a very good job of being able to limit damage. Zach Ranke in his second outing against the Chicago White Sox looked much better than in his first outing against the Colorado Rockies, and for the year, ever since that first start against the San Diego Padres, in which he gave up four home runs, he's been giving up right around .7 home runs per nine innings, but with the Oakland A's, this is a team that has heated up, and they've heated up in a big way. They've got a lot of guys that have right around the same batting average. You take a look at the guys that are hitting between a 250 and a 264. It's Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Robbie Grossman, Mark Canna, Stephen Piscotti, Chad Pinder. The list goes on and on. Jeff Feigley, you could throw into that neighborhood as well. But then you do have Corbin Joseph, who's hitting a 313. He's been productive. Chris Davis has just been awful. 222 batting average. I think he's got seven home runs ever since, like, the fourth week of the season. He's been just a hot mess. But Mark Simeon, 270 batting average. And then you've got the Mats that are really hitting home runs. Matt Chapman, 29 dingers on the year. Matt Olson getting a home run every 13 to 14 at-bats. He's got 25 on the campaign. Mark has been able to supply some power, so that's been good. And for the Oakland A's, seems like their bullpen's really improving. They were struggling a little bit from late June into July, but they seem to have hunkered down there. Meanwhile, the Houston Astros, their bullpen really got taxed yesterday. 
yesterday as Rogelio Armenteros only went four innings. So that's been a little bit of an issue for them. But you take a look at this lineup. It is historically good. You've got George Springer and Jose Altuve at the top lineup hitting between a 290 and a 300. Both these men have 20-plus home runs. Michael Brantley's hitting a 333. Jordan Alvarez, a 344. He's getting a home run every 11 or so at bats. Yuri Gurriel has nearly 90 RBI, over 20 home runs. He's hitting a 305. Carlos Correa's hitting a 280. He's got home runs. Then you've got guys like Jake Marisnik, Josh Reddick and company. They're all able to hit. Other than the catcher spot with Martin Maldonado and Robinson Chirinos, everyone in this lineup is a threat. But I do think that Brett Anderson is going to be able to do just enough to keep this game out in front of him. And you know what? Zach Greinke has been giving up a lot of runs in the first inning so far this year. I think that the A's are able to get to him in the spot. I think they're going to have to force the Astros to use a bullpen that has been heavily taxed recently, and the Astros are a team that seems to go a little bit hot and cold. I think they're being caught in a bad spot here, so for that reason, going to be looking at the plus price of the Oakland A's to be able to take the sweep here, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. I would like to be able to get this total more at 9 rather than 9.5 to be able to have that cushion of being able to get a push on so Wayne Simo there, and I'm seeing the money pouring in on the Astros, so it Wayne Simo on both of those as we round things out with 979-980 on the bang rotation. The New York Mets hit the road to face off against the Kansas City Royals. Glenn Sparkman goes for the Royals. Zach Wheeler goes for the Mets. Your total on this game is 10. The under is use of minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Mets, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 170 and minus 175. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Royals is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 160. We were talking about this with Sean Arnish. The Glenn Sparkman splits are absolutely insane. 9 ERA on the road. Right around a 3 ERA at home. At home, he's giving up right around 1.2 home runs per 9 innings. On the road, way over 2 home runs per 9 innings. Meanwhile, with Zach Wheeler, just hard to really stick your chips in the middle with him. He's got pretty good peripheral numbers. He's not giving up a whole bunch of walks. He's giving up right around 1.2 home runs per 9 innings. But you take a look at his last start against the Atlanta Braves. Gives up 5 runs in 5 innings there. His previous two starts have been pretty good. But in the month of July, he gave up. Fewer than three earned runs in just one start there. In the month of June, he had three out of his five starts in which he gave up at least three earned runs as well. And the Mets bullpen, though it's looked a whole lot better ever since the All-Star break, you still do have your trepidations with it. And with the New York Mets, this is a team that they certainly have one of the best mashers out there in the big leagues, and his name is Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso, 266 batting average. 39 home runs for him, 93 RBI, but they're still dealing with the loss of Jeff McNeil. That means that Amanda Rosario has to hit leadoff. He's hitting a 290 for the year, so he's been doing a solid job there, but he doesn't draw as many walks. You've got guys like Joe Panic and Todd Frazier hitting between a 233 and a 240. Wilson Ramos has been good at the catcher spot, though. He's hitting a 280. Michael Conforto has upped his average a little bit to a 256, 25 home runs for him. Then you do have a little bit of something to be desired with guys like Juan Lagares, who actually has improved his average to a 220, but then Luis Guillermo. Norme is hitting below the Mendoza line as well. Then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. Got a couple guys that do a great job of being able to get on base. Chester Cuthbert, Alex Gordon, and Jorge Soler hitting between a 265 and a 255. I will say, though, in the case of Gordon and Cuthbert, man, their averages are really dipping. But for Jorge Soler, 88 RBI, 35 home runs. He's been doing terrific. On base percentage is high. Whit Merrifield is hitting above a 300. And then Hunter Dozier, that's over 20 home runs, 288 batting average for him. But then... You got a whole lot of guys that you need to be getting a whole lot more from. Cam Gallagher, Billy Hamilton, Brett Phillips, Ryan O'Hearn, Myrice Viloria, Nicky Lopez, Lucas Duda. All guys hitting a 230 or lower. It has been absolutely brutal. I think that Cam Gallagher is on the injured list, and that's sad because he's actually has the best batting average of all those guys. So that's absolutely brutal. But I do think that the Kansas City Royals, with the top of the lineup, 
are going to be able to get to Zach Wheeler, and I do think that Glenn Sparkman's good splits at home are going to continue. This is a New York Mets team that seems to be falling back to earth with their bats a little bit, and it's not going to take a whole lot for the Royals to be able to win this game. So for that reason, going to be taking this total under, hoping to get an unjuiced 10, because right now it's right around minus 115, so waiting on that. And certainly, I don't think a whole lot of public money going to be coming in on the Kansas City Royals, so holding off on that as well. So that will do it for the Sunday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Sean Hardish for joining me in the second segment to break down today's games. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in via the timeline, not the DMs, at unit underscore one And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.